I'm Dana Lloyd. Welcome to Soul Sister Conversations, the podcast, where you will be inspired and empowered to connect more deeply with your authentic self as we explore topics of personal development, leadership, and spirituality. Your journey to your most authentic self starts right now. Donna Jones lost her husband suddenly on February 14, 2017. She tells her very personal story of processing her deep grief. She shares what she has learned about doing the inner work, how she has learned to ride the wave of grief, what grief has taught her, how it helps growth and evolution of the soul, and how it has strengthened her. There is so much depth and warmth to this conversation about loss and recovery. Welcome, Donna Jones, to Soul Sister Conversations. Hi, Dana. Thank you for inviting me today. Well, thank you for agreeing to share your story of grief. I know this is a deeply personal story, as all grief stories are. And I think when we share our personal stories, it does help others, whether it is validating or seeing a situation from another's perspective. And sometimes it is just confirms that we are not alone in our experience, even though each person's experience can be very different. And when did your story with grief begin? Well, I'll talk about my mother and father first, because my father passed away uh, in 1989 after a long illness. And so my mother and I were caregivers for him. And my mother passed away 20 years later after a lengthy illness. And uh, in uh, 2009, And my husband died suddenly on the 14th of February, 2017. So I have experienced grief from the perspective of both a caregiver, uh, caring for someone with a lengthy illness, and the sudden shock of sudden death. And they're very different. One is no worse or better than the other. They're just different uh, as a caregiver. Uh, it's very stressful and you, you actually start the grieving process while they're still alive. That's what I found from my perspective. And you have time to be with that person. You have time to say things, you have time to prepare and make preparations, but with a sudden death, it's shocking and numbing. And it's just like it just literally yanks the essence right out of your physical body and it took me a while to get my bearings to actually realize that he was uh, no longer alive. I just felt like I had been yanked out of uh, reality and plunked into a zombie-like world that just felt dark and numb. And uh, his death was very sudden, and the medical examiner said that he didn't even know what happened to him. So I remember thinking it was a blessing for, for my husband, Don, because he didn't suffer but it was hell for me. Mm. Yeah. And and when you, in the, those moments uh, after you really learning of your husband's death, you know, you I guess you've already alluded to it, that you felt like you were yanked out of reality and a grief begins immediately. What, what did it look like for you? Oh, it was, I uh, just felt numb, shock disbelief. I just literally curled up in a ball and cried for hours. You know, I just felt, is this a nightmare that I hope to wake up from? 
uh, it takes a while for reality yeah. to sink in. So he passed away suddenly on the 14th of February. And the next day, I live in the country. So I, the next day I had to go to Halifax. It's a two-hour drive from, from where our house is. And I just had to be with family. And I just had to be with people. And um, I was watching yeah. TV and I heard three days later on the 17th of February that Stuart McLean from the Vinyl Cafe passed away. And I immediately picked up the phone to call my husband to tell him about the news. And halfway through dialing, I thought, what am I doing? I can't call Don. He, he's dead. Like, reality mm-hmm. really hit hard. Yeah, it's so true. And I agree with um, what you're talking about with your mom and dad. And, you know, obviously, even a spouse is a different experience. Because um, I had the experience of of losing my mother over a number of years, and you're right, you begin to grieve the person in advance. And I don't know if it's prepping. Um, I'm not sure what it is, but it, there is a, a grief that begins to happen. And so I can imagine when you your husband's death so shocking, it feels like the rug was pulled out from underneath of you. And I know when you and I chatted about this experience, you said, you know, you're 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 changed by the experience. And I can imagine in every way possible, but I also found it interesting that you said I was physically changed. And can you speak more about the changes that you experienced, including the physical changes? Yeah, I'll speak to um, the emotional and physical uh, and even spiritual. So emotionally, it's mm-hmm. it's heart wrenching, it's gut wrenching, and can be consuming and overwhelming at times. I was dealing with a vast amount of emotions, and that takes a lot of time to process. And grief has to be processed. Um, you, You cannot go around it or over it or under it. You have to go through it. And that takes a lot of courage and inner work. And when you're in the deep throes of raw, fresh grief, the pain is very visceral and and gripping. You literally feel like you're wallowing in a pool of pain. And I love um, Amberube's analogy of the caterpillar that transforms into the butterfly. But before it can transform, it has to stay in this cocoon stage with this muck and the guck inside the mm. cocoon. And that's where, you, with the grief, it's you feel like you're in this muck and a guck, and you really have to be there for as much time as you need to to process the myriad of emotions that wash through you. You know, how long you're in this stage depends upon the individual. And, and grief belongs to the griever, and it's right. very individual. So each person processes their grief in their own way and in their own time. And for several months, it just... And you say you had to do a lot of inner work. What did the inner work look like? That's... um, Like you said, when you have to process the grief, and it requires a lot of inner work. Is it reflection? Is it... What was that? What are you referring to? It's being in the pain and, and witnessing it and being with it and embracing it and working with it rather than resisting it. And what is that? How does that show up when you work with it versus resisted? How does one work with grief? To acknowledge the pain uh, rather than avoid it. Yeah, to be with it. Let it settle in, cry it out. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because, um, because I was so busy for a period of time with so many things that 
I wasn't working with my grief. I was resisting it. And it came back to bite me in the butt. <laughs> so and that's when I realized. So how, how long was that? Like before you recognized that you had to give into this or experience it in some way, was it months or was it weeks or? Well, um, it's, it's for the first, um, I'll just go over like, uh, how I, uh, the, how my body reacted to the grief. So in the first few months, probably the first three months, it just felt very mechanical. Like it was one foot in front of the other, one step at a time, one day at a time. And I also noticed that for about six months, as long as I was rested, I did quite well coping with the many tasks associated with grief. But if I got tired, I got overwhelmed easily. And then I got emotional. And this was new, like little things that never bothered me before mm. would be overwhelming and emotionally draining. And physically, grief takes its toll on the body. It's very exhausting. In the early days of grief, I had, I no longer had the energy I used to have to complete even simple tasks. Uh, I remember I was going to clean out his bedside table, bedside table with two small drawers. And I felt good and I felt I had the energy to do it. And I cleaned out the top drawer. And then when I opened up the bottom drawer, I just felt this wave of exhaustion and I couldn't do it. I just had to close the drawer, drawer and go and sit down. It was just overwhelming. I also noticed that my brain changed and I had memory loss. I couldn't focus on mm. tasks, uh, reading. Um, I also felt that my heart wasn't beating normally. And when I Googled the symptoms, broken heart syndrome popped up. And this felt like what was happening to me. Right. Yeah. And there's actually a technical name for that. Um, Taco Subo cardiomyopathy or something like that and that lasted for a while okay yeah it, it's yeah so during the first three months it just felt like I was m moving mechanically from one day you know one foot in front of the other one day at a time then as the numbness lifted then anxiety set in and I had never experienced anxiety before and I was just, after a particularly very busy time, I was still working. I had organized an AGM and a conference. After all of this, I was sitting very quietly making my to-do list, and my lower lip went numb. And I checked my blood pressure, and it was mm. high, and I thought I might be having a stroke. So I went to the hospital and went through triage. And when I saw the doctor, she assured me that I was not having a stroke, and um she actually took quite a bit of time with me. I was really impressed with her. And she said that I had just been too busy with everything and not allowing myself the time to grieve. And it was coming back to bite me in the butt. Mm. And she recommended I see a psychologist and join a grief group and to put all of the unimportant things on the back burner to allow myself time to heal. But then when I asked her about my numb lip, because that was very concerning, she says, oh, that's just anxiety. Oh, great. So now I have to deal with anxiety. And I, I had never had this before. And my heart goes out to people that deal with anxiety on a daily basis. It was episodes of waking up at Not night fun. with my heart racing. 
uh, episodes in the middle of the day with hyperventilation, seeing wavy lines, feeling like I was going to pass out. And one day I was having a particular bad bout of anxiety. And when I finally realized that I could help myself by tapping, because I know how to do tapping, emotional freedom technique. And I spent a solid hour tapping myself down and the the, uh, anxiety finally broke. And when it, whenever it would reappear, mm. I would tap myself down right away and that, and then it didn't get too bad. And this anxiety lasted for about three months and finally disappeared around September of 2017. And another physical thing that I noticed and because I'm a, a reflexology therapist, my, the balls of my feet were extremely sore for about a year and a half. And the balls of the feet are the lung reflexes and the organ associated with grief are the lungs. Okay. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And I witnessed, I mean, I, I, yeah. they were sore, uh, constantly sore for 24 seven for a year and a half. And, uh, but I knew what it was. I knew why they were sore. And it's so fascinating to me that our body, body reacts and it, it, it's all the various reactions that our bodies go through in order to deal with um, what we're going through. Like, you know, for what for you it was balls of your feet. For somebody else, it might be something else, or like you say, even anxiety. Never had to deal with it before, but suddenly had a bout of yeah. it. Um, I, I find the body. You know, what do you make of that? Of all the reactions uh, of the body. Yeah, they were uh, very um, well. The balls of the feet weren't a surprise to me, but um, a lot of the other physical. Uh, I thought I was. Um, you know, getting Alzheimer's because, because I couldn't remember things. I, I, I couldn't focus. Um, I had to write everything down. I just thought that I thought I was losing it. I really did think I was, and the anxiety, I just, uh, that was horrible. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. So that was very different to, to deal with, but I do have tools for being a therapist. I have many tools that I could work with to help that like meditation, um, breathing techniques, you know, things like that. And you used all of those to help you through anxiety. I did. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, spiritually. And how did this affect you spiritually? Um, yeah, spiritually, I, I believe that grief at its deepest and most basic level is actually for the growth and evolution of our soul. So where there was great love, there is deep mm. grief. And, and grief lasts as long as love lasts. That's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Great way to put it. Very interesting. What, what has grief taught you? Um, obviously, you've, you're a reflector. You do a lot of reflecting on that. Um, what is that? What has this experience taught you about life, about the evolution of your soul, about anything? Oh, um, so many things. Uh, I I've talked about grief being, you know, it's a great, it's the toughest taskmaster, and also the greatest teacher. So, the biggest thing that I learned was to finally learn to ride the wave of grief in all its ebbs and flows and to just be with whatever emotions flow through me that day rather than resisting it. That was a valuable lesson. 
I learned to witness the pain, be with the pain, embrace the pain, accept the pain, release the pain, ride the wave, repeat. <laughs> but resistance was futile. Mm. So, um, yeah, I even named my grief. I called her Pandora because she was so full of surprises. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting way to do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, I, I, I noticed... Um, I noticed shifts along the way. Um, the first three months were, were numb and mechanical. Then the numbness faded and anxiety set in, which I said lasted around three months. And uh, around September of that year, I wasn't getting as emotionally overwhelmed as when I was tired. Um, going through that year of first anniversaries, birthdays, etc., is an emotional roller coaster ride. And I found that the anticipation and the lead up to the actual date was worse than the day itself. Uh, on the actual date, I chose to be alone because if I'm alone, I knew I could feel free to express my grief in any way that it shows up. Um, I knew that if I was with people, I would repress my grief and that wouldn't be good. Uh, other people may need to be around others during these occasions. But for me, it was uh, important that I was alone. Um, I know, and today, I just want to let you know, today would have been our 33rd wedding anniversary. So it just, oh, wow. it just feels fitting to be able to share this with story with you on this day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I so appreciate it. I mean, you've given me so much in-depth and, and insight already. And and I'm curious when you said you had to learn to ride the wave, one of the things that you did was join a grief group. Did they teach you to do that and teach you to name name your grief? No, that was already, no, that was all mine. <laughs> that was uh, just a realization. <laughs> oh, smart lady. <laughs> no. <laughs> In the in the grief group, um, uh, what I learned in the grief group is that talking out your grief is a, a very essential way of processing it. You need to talk and talk mm. and talk and talk. And you can only share so much with family and friends. Uh, if they are not going through the same loss, they do not understand at a deeper level what you're experiencing. And a grieving person needs to talk with someone who is going through the same type of loss. Uh, for the first few months after my husband died, I thought I was getting Alzheimer's. I couldn't remember anything, and I was putting things where they didn't belong. My shoes in the freezer, the chicken in the cupboard. Uh, when I joined the group, I realized that everyone else was going through the same thing with their memory loss, lack of focus. And just knowing that others were experiencing the same types of symptoms was such a great relief. I just didn't feel so alone then. And I had heard about... Hey, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so I was just going to talk about the um, five stages um, So yeah. of grief that, I mean, I had read about them before and denial, anger, bargaining you know, the what if stage, what have I done this or what have I done that, the depression, which I experienced in the form of anxiety and acceptance. And the day after my husband died, I just remember feeling such agonizing pain and thinking, I can't wait until a year from now and I will be over this pain and grief. 
And in the beginning, I just foolishly thought that I would go through each of these stages, one stage at a time, and then I would be done. And boy, was I ever wrong. So these stages are not linear. You vacillate back and forth through these different stages and not in any particular order. And it can take years. And for me, it took about four years before I started feeling like myself again. And most people who haven't um, gone through this or or, uh, most people don't realize how long it takes to grieve, how long it takes to grieve the loss of a loved Mm -hmm. one. So they might look at, if they haven't gone through that, they might look at a person and after six months of their loss and say things like, aren't you over that yet? Or it's been a year, you should be done grieving by now. And that is the worst thing that a person could say to a grieving person. And it is often the topic of discussion at our grief group meetings. And Yeah. yeah, it's often the topic of our discussion, our grief group meeting. So that's what I mean by talking it out. And it's actually a way of processing it. That's what I learned going to the grief group. And I also realized that many people in the grief group did not know about or have access to the tools that I have that helped me to de-stress or to cope, you know, such as meditation or breathing or emotional freedom technique. And I developed a wellness toolbox based on all the training and education and workshops that I've taken over the past decades. And these are tools that work for me, such as tapping uh, that I mentioned earlier, and I've shared them in a couple of workshops with my grief Mm -hmm. group. Yeah. So joining a grief group was one of the best things that I did to help myself through the grieving process. And I learned that the many aspects of grief on many levels, emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual. Um, So, For your listeners who may be grieving and there's no grief group in their area, there's a wonderful online resource, um, Megan Devine. She's a psychotherapist who lost her fiancé in a drowning accident. And she wrote a book, It's Okay That You're Not Okay. And she has a website, uh, refugeandgrief.com, and it's a great resource for grieving people. And I saw how helpful the grief group was. And so I actually am a facilitator with the grief group now. And I'm also a membership director on the board. Hmm. And this is all online? No, this is a a grief group in Halifax for widowed people. And it's it's specifically for widowed people for the loss of a life partner. Yeah. But for someone who... Mm. And so that's very specific. That's very specific, yes. Uh, But you could just... uh, I don't know if in New Brunswick, in Halifax or in Nova Scotia, we have 211, where you could call for information. And our grief group was listed with 211 and the Mental Health Association. So in New Brunswick, you probably have something similar. Mm, Yeah. And um, what what do you get from going to the grief groups now? Do you feel um, called to help other people through it um, by being a facilitator? You found that a comfortable space? Yes. Um, It's the sharing that uh, people need. They need to know that they're not alone in their grief and that what they're going through is perfectly normal. Because I think everyone at first, they just think that they're going nuts. They think they're going insane because of the, the physical yeah. uh, things that happen to the body, um, the emotional things that happen. Uh, it's when you talk with others that are mm-hmm. going through the same thing. Yeah. 
What has been the silver lining, if any, in grief? Is there one? Well, to experience grief is to know that you have experienced love. You know, it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Um, I believe it's an honor that brings many gifts on a soul level. I've learned the language of grief. So I feel like I'm no longer at a loss for words when I pass condolences on to someone who's lost someone. So before my grief journeys, I was always share more about yeah, that. Always at a loss of what to say to a person because we and that's what we do. We feel at a loss, and uh, and I've learned that you cannot take away someone's pain with empty platitudes because that's where we 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 just want to take away their pain, but we can't take away their pain. They have to process their pain. And so what should we say to people who are uh, in deep suffering? I know, and you're right, we have this awkwardness around it and uh, nobody knows what to say, but what do you think is helpful or what did you find helpful? What I Or would like to have people have said to you? Yeah, what I found helpful was people expressing their condolences, of course. And I loved it when they shared um, a fond remembrance of my husband. Mm-hmm. You know, things like be strong or he's in a better place or you're young, you'll marry again. That Those things never help. Yeah, right. And people are just trying to help, but <laughs> it's not what you need to hear at the time. No. Yeah. And then and, <laughs> yeah, like, thank and you. Then for somebody, <laughs> and for somebody who has to talk it out, uh, the, the listener feels like they want to fix it. They feel they want to help them to take their pain away. The best thing they can do is just just listen and allow that person to just talk. Yeah. 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 And that's so we just want to be heard. And I know even in the days after my own mother's passing, you're right. I just feel myself repeating that I like almost, you know, telling people how she died or what happened that day. And part of it, I think was just processing it, you know, the disbelief of it. And somehow it was cathartic. Um, to to speak it for some reason. And I suppose if I reflected on that more deeply, I'd probably understand why I did. But you were compelled to to share it with people and hope that, you know, and I don't think I repeated it to people too many times, but if people were closest to me, I would find myself keep, you know, I just couldn't believe or, you know, so it is cathartic in its own way. It is. And and that's one of the things that I learned about joining the grief group is that talking it out is an essential way of processing it. And it gets. And, and for pretty much everybody. Yes. Uh, well, the people who do go to the grief group do talk. Um because they want to talk, they they want to get it out, they want to say things, and um, yeah. Uh, but and I guess too, in a grief group, you have people who probably know what to say, right? Like if you happen to be angry, or you know, for a lot of people, they don't know how to respond to how people are feeling. If people are angry about it, or resentful, or just super sad, or um, so I think that would also be helpful. Yeah, is having trained people or people who are experienced in that. Yes. Area. Yes. It's, 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 it's being in that space where can you, where you can say how, how you're feeling, how angry you are and, and cry and have people understand and just let you do it and have people understand that and be there for you mm, so and true. to yeah hold space for you and be there for you, hold space yeah. for you. You know, it's, uh, mm. Yeah. It's so important. 
One of the things you talked about was that you'd have grief attacks. And then I think it was like you kind of moved to embracing the memories. Can you speak to that? Because I'm sure anybody who has gone through this or maybe even going through it now will have experienced that as well. And what did that look for like for you, a grief attack? So um, grief, um, yeah, grief never goes away. It softens with time. And in the early days, you can have what I call grief attacks. So they're very, something that hits you very suddenly and and is very painful and visceral, but must be expressed. And a memory embraces something that hits you suddenly, but is a fond remembrance and may bring tears, but also joy to your heart. So I'll give you some examples. So uh, in May of 2017, it was only three months after my husband's death, I went to a conference in Montreal. I I had already registered for it back in the fall when my husband was still alive. And I was actually going to cancel it. I wasn't going to go. But then I thought after several months of just um, grief tasks, admin, financial, emotional, I just needed to get away. And I just needed to be with different people and in a different situation that did not know what I was going through. And at the awards ceremony, I won an award for volunteer of the year for starting a a reflexology chapter in my province. And that was totally unexpected. And when I returned from the stage, my vice president was there and she was congratulating me and hugging me. And I was so happy and laughing. And then all of a sudden it hit me that I couldn't share this award with my husband, that I was robbed of the joy of sharing it with him. And that hit me so hard, so suddenly and so hard, I broke down crying in the middle of the award ceremony in a crowd of people. So that's like a, a grief attack. And uh, another one that uh, my husband and I traveled for five winters in our truck and our fifth wheel. And I absolutely, we loved our traveling, we just loved it. And in April of 2017, I sold the fifth wheel and I remember feeling sad, but I think I was still numb from the grief, like being so fresh. But in July, I sold the truck to buy an SUV. And the day before the sale purchase, the sale of the the truck and the purchase of my SUV, I spent an entire day cleaning out the truck. And as I cleaned everything out of the truck, I actually relived every trip and every memory. And I just wailed and wailed through the entire process. And that was an entire day of a grief attack. Mm. And the next day when I went into the dealership, I was fine with the sale and the purchase and I didn't have any emotions to deal with. Thank goodness. And I was so happy that I had had that grief attack the day before when I was alone and could allow the full spectrum of those emotions to be expressed without holding anything back. So those are like grief attacks and they're, yeah. yeah. A a memory embrace. So I'm just going to talk about um, a couple of stories. Um, So uh, it was a year, I think a year and a half later, it was in the summer of 2018. And I finally decided that it was time to deal with his clothes and his personal things. And it was time for me. Everybody has to deal with it in their own time. Some people deal with those things sooner. 
And that was time for me. I just felt it was time. And I was aware that there would be emotions that would well up. And I was ready. I was ready to accept anything that surfaced. And as I was sorting his clothes into different bags, you know, the giveaway bag or the throwaway bag, I experienced emotions that I hadn't expected. I actually felt a sense of release, a sense of freedom. And I didn't expect that. And so after I finished this chore, I went to sit out on the deck and relax with a cold drink. And my husband used to feed the hummingbirds every summer. And it was his his sole purpose every summer. And he, he, we always had 50 hummingbirds uh, every year. So we had a lot. And after my husband died, I didn't continue feeding the hummingbirds because I wasn't always at my house. And I didn't want to start feeding them if I wasn't always here. So back to the cold drink on the deck, um, I was sitting there uh, just feeling good about what I had done. And all of a sudden, a hummingbird appeared where there used to be a feeder. That hit me hard and I started crying. But I also felt joy within my heart. So it was a joyful remembrance. That I call a memory embrace. Yeah. yeah. And another... Um, yeah, I love yeah that. and another favorite one I want to share is, um, I think it was in the spring of 2018, and I went to Montana's restaurant with my brother, and I ordered a beer and ribs. And as I was sitting there drinking my beer and waiting for my ribs, I looked at my brother and said, I have no idea why I ordered beer and ribs. I never, ever ordered beer and ribs. And then all of a sudden I said, it's Dawn. It's Dawn. He ordered beer and ribs and he's living vicariously <laughs> through me. <laughs> and I could just see him standing oh, behind I love me. those memories. I, I know. I could just see him standing behind me and whispering, uh, order beer and ribs, order beer and ribs. <laughs> and I, I, I've, actually had this, <laughs> I've actually had this experience several times, but it hasn't always been beer and ribs. And I've talked with other widows as well who have had similar experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And those are the things that uh, hopefully are settling in more and more. And and do you almost feel like these memory embraces, like when you say a hummingbird appeared where your feeder was, it, all, it feels like a sign from Dawn. Maybe yeah. it's Dawn, maybe, <laughs> but like something reminding you that I'm still here. Yes. And that's why it was uh, a memory embrace and it felt comforting. It felt comforting. Yes, yes. definitely. Yeah. The comfort. Yes. I get that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing those stories because I think that's a really great example of two different things. And you know, I've had those both of those experiences, and I'm sure every person who's gone through um, losing a loved one um, ha has some degree of that. That that you can move to these memory embraces, and almost I feel like you know whether it's a sign from them or not, but that you're getting this sense of uh, you can get the connection with them again through those memories. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What's your relationship with grief today? I embrace it. Uh, it's part of who I am. And I feel that it's a, a great gift and an honor. Um, in April of 2020, I, I lost my little toy Yorkie, Lacey. She died in the midst of the first wave of that pandemic. And, um, it's. I found it very interesting to note that that loss brought back all that grief that I processed, just as fresh as it was in the early days of losing my husband. But I recognized the grief and the symptoms and the pain, and I was able to process the grief much faster and easier. 
because I had the deep emotional experience at a cellular level. And it's funny how even grief of a pet can bring that can bring that forward again. Yes. Different, 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 di- different, but same. Yes. <laughs> yes. No. H- have you thought about how this journey of widowhood, I mean, we come into this existence and we have all of these different experiences and how widowhood or having gone through this, maybe even part of your life plan, or have you assigned some sort of meaning to it at all? I know you've referred to a little bit about your soul's purpose and, how is it linked in that way? Yeah, with the, with the help of good friends and neighbors, I've learned to do things um, that my husband used to do around the house and yard, repairing things, fixing things. Um, in the early days, I just felt so vulnerable and helpless. But as time passed, I gained strength and fortitude. And now I don't mind a challenge. And in my widowhood, I have mm-hmm. learned to honor the introvert in me. I'm both an introvert and an extrovert, but because I was always surrounded by people for most of my life, the introvert in me never had a chance to relish the solitude. And I am alone now, but I'm not lonely. And I'm honoring that introvert Mm. in me, that hermit in me. And I'm still working as a reflexology therapist, but I'm also studying in preparation for the third act of my life. And I'm studying human design, which will take several years of study. And it's an absolutely fascinating study and appeals to the learner archetype in me. And I'll be able to help and guide others Mm -hmm. in experimenting with their unique human design, living life as their true authentic self. So I will be honoring myself while still helping others. And that's important to me. And do you think about, you know, these reflections, you recognize you're honoring the the introvert. Um, and not to say that it couldn't have happened, but it really only began to happen as a result of being a widow that one, you know, not that, you know, everything happens for a reason, but we can certainly assign meaning however we like. That does it feel that um, as a part of your soul's evolution, you were learned to honor that solitude or does that make sense in terms of spiritual terms? Yeah, um, it didn't happen so quickly. It actually uh, was forced upon me because of COVID. <laughs> so COVID has brought some blessings to me. Um, it was uh, March sure. of 2020 when I, uh, COVID hit and everybody had headed for the hills and I wasn't allowed to work. Uh, so for four months, I just went to my house and it became my sanctuary. And I realized over that four months that I really love this solitude and my the introvert in me is really loving this. And I had never, ever had given it a chance before because I had always been so busy in uh, doing this and that and everything and working and being president of our, our reflexology chapter and meetings and AGMs and conferences. And it was just um, busy, busy, busy. But COVID got me off the hamster wheel. And... <laughs> yeah, and it was I was actually slam dunked. It got us all off the hamster wheel. <laughs> I was actually slam dunked off that yeah. hamster wheel and I actually literally sat here for a week staring at the wall wondering what happened, but after a while as I I as the next uh, 4 months um 
went through the next four months, I realized I haven't been giving myself that time and space and solitude that I truly, truly need. And that's how it happened. And that's when it happened. And now I'm taught when we went back to work last June, I tried to keep a balance of work and solitude time mm-hmm. and to, to honor that. Amazing and beautiful learning. Yes. Yeah. To honor it. Yeah. It's amazing how, and I hear the stories over and over again, the amount of distractions that we have in our lives that keep us from that solitude. Um, so where we can actually go in and get like true rest and renewal. You know, when people say their soul is tired, you yeah. know, it's, we need, we need time now to just reduce rejuvenate our physical bodies, but maybe our spiritual bodies, and to get back in touch with that connection again. And like you say, you, you're alone, but not lonely. Can you speak a little bit to, the, to that? Because I, uh, you know, people who are lonely, uh, because they are alone, what do you mean by that? Or how do you feel uh, not alone in your solitude? I just love my own company. I, I, I'm very busy. Uh, I've been as we speak now, I've been at my house alone for six weeks because of uh, our latest lockdowns. But I've been very busy. It's given me a lot of time to continue with my studies. I've been, I call myself the Zoom queen (laughs) because I'm always on a Zoom meeting. (laughs) So I am connecting with people. Uh, but I also have my alone time as well. So it's important to me. It's important for me to have that alone time to recharge my batteries. And some people recharge their batteries by being with other people, by being with family and friends. So it, it might be important for other people to be with others, but for me, it's important for me to have my alone time. Mm. I love that. Um, I, I really appreciate this conversation. I just have a last few questions for you, some rapid fire soul sister questions. Okay. <laughs> um, what have you come to learn about the power of being you? Uh, how much inner strength I have in the face of adversity. And I, I realize that true personal power comes from within. And, you know, just going through the multifaceted layers of grief, I feel that it has raised my vibrational frequency. And from doing this deep inner work, I feel a heightened sense of inner awareness. And I feel like I'm sitting in a different vantage point in the spiral of life. Oh, that's interesting. And what has become abundantly clear to you? That we all have a journey here on earth with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Uh, We're born naked, we die naked, and everything that we accumulate in between is just on loan. And lastly, what does the world need most? Compassion, self-compassion, kindness. Mm. And this comes from living life from the power of the heart. Mm. And what does that mean, from the power of the heart? The heart is actually more powerful we don't really think that it's a power center but it's an emotional power center and our heart actually there are actually it has actually scientifically been proven through that the heart uh, can actually measure and process information even before your mind and your body can 
uh, I watched The Power of the Heart on Gaia.com, and it was so interesting to learn this. And if you go to heartmath.org, uh, it is actually scientifically proven um, information on the heart and the power of the heart and how how good yeah absolutely how effective and how powerful the heart is and it goes out for several feet from us Mm. yeah that's amazing yeah the power of the heart um yeah well i've loved all this uh conversation i've loved all the insight you've offered up uh very personal experiences to demonstrate what you mean and i really appreciate that i think this will be a very valuable conversation thank you donna for joining me in this today and sharing your story thank you dana it's been my pleasure to share and if somebody if somebody gets some uh relief from this um during their grieving uh, i'm only too happy to share Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Please go to iTunes to rate and review this podcast. And if you want to continue the conversation, connect with Soul Sister Conversations on the Facebook and Instagram pages. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Dana Lloyd Leadership, on Twitter at Coach Dana underscore Lloyd, and of course on LinkedIn. See you next week.